Welcome to Doc Talks, brought to you from NerdWorks Media. But welcome back to Doc Talks, where I Doc Talk. Hi, everybody. We're going to go into Druids Part 2 today. I'm glad you all are here, and I hope you're having a wonderful time. Uh, for everybody who came out, it means so much to us that Bros and Dragons is getting back on track, getting the traction that it once had. The watches, we see these things. So when people watch them uh, later on, we see that. When we put them up on YouTube, people watching it. And just as a reminder, next Friday is hopefully the release of Episode 1 in podcast form, which will actually be Episode 51 in Bros and and dragons since bros and dragons is already out there seasons one and two could be listened to right now and that'll get you going into season three and they all are linked together believe it or not even though it is a new cast new characters new place we have been working with different creators we put it out on our discord so the nerd works channel um we're trying to expand it and what I mean is, is we want to run more content more often. And so we went to our Discord and we were talking to people there and other Discords and people that have new or interesting ideas or people who have done interesting things in the past. These are the people we're trying to expand NerdWorks. Does that mean if we haven't talked to you that you can't talk to us about an idea that you have? Absolutely not. NerdWorks Media is for people doing stuff, and we encourage it wholeheartedly. We're going to continue on with Druids today, uh, but I, I did, and, and I still want to reiterate that very blessed on Having people out there, having people interact, it means so much to us. It's great to have people. It's great to have people here. I, I love when you guys talk in here. I love when you ask questions and I can answer them. As before we get started into what every druid has, I just want to touch base again so that we remember that druids are based in historical books. So, But the lore might be a little different. And there's nothing in the rule books of any game, including Dungeons and Dragons, that says that your druids have to fall within a category. Now, I played in 2E, it was really strict, it did fall into a category, but even then did not have that straightforward, here's what's going to happen attitude. Remember, historically, there's two types of druids. There's the healers of the time. So before we had physicians and doctors... These people were herbalists and traditional workers, and they would go out and hunt different herbs, roots, and make concoctions to help people, and people would call on druids for ailments. The second historical one that I could find that is separate are the forest-dwelling, or what they called barbarians, or barbaric tribes, during Romans' time, specifically in the British Isles. Both can be communed with nature. Both of them have a extensive knowledge of plants, plant life, how they can help, healing. And if you use this as a base, 
you are really going to have an interesting druid. In Dungeons and Dragons, 5th edition, every druid's going to start off with the exact same thing. So let's go over that before we jump into the different ones. Every druid starts with proficiency in light armor, medium armor, and shields. I was very specific in that. DMs, when you have somebody who wants to play a druid, but they want medium armor, they want shields, they want different weapons that are traditionally metal, and they want to play a druid that shuns metal, I really request you not to make that difficult. And again, if you want the properties of Ironwood, just reach out to Nerdworks Media or myself, Doc, and I will get you those so that you can continue to have a game where your druids and your players are getting what they need to play the kind of character that they want to play. You don't have to make characters godlike and, and good at everything as long as they meet the idea that your char- your players have. And again, I have the Ironwood stuff I'm, will, will, I, I'm willing to give you. Weapons are way more specific on what you start off than most other classes. So, really specific. Clubs, daggers, darts, javelins, maces, quarterstaffs, scimitars, slings, sickles, and spears. Since this is all they get to have, make it available in your game. And if you have a magic weapon that would work well for your druid and you know what type of weapon they use, you are absolutely okay. I encourage you to make those weapons Ironwood, if that's what they're playing, but available to them. Most weapons, magical weapons, their properties can be transferred over to any weapon, and they can fit within that category. The extra proficiency that druids get at the beginning are herbalism kits. It kind of covers what I talked about, but in the book, on page 187 of the Player's Handbook, under Downtimes, it talks about crafting and herbalism kits specifically in Dungeons & Dragons 5e allow players in downtime to make antidotes and potions of healing. Allow your characters to have downtime, trust me. All druids speak druidic, which is a language, it's a secret language that if you're not a druid, you don't understand. You can't decipher it without magical means, and even that's temporary. You can't even notice it without a perception check. And as I looked that up a little bit more, a perception check where you're looking for it. It's not something you accidentally see. So that depends on the DM, but traditionally that's how it's done. All druids are a divine caster of some type. They will get up to ninth level spells. That's where everybody wants to be. And a lot like the cleric, when a druid's out of spells, they're not useless. They have other options. Unlike a cleric, they have more options. One of the options they have is the wild shape option. All druids have this, and simply put, twice a day for hours, equal to half the druid level rounded down. So at level 4, it's 2 hours. At level 5, it's 2 hours. The druid can turn into a beast, an animal that they know, that they've experienced before in the rules. Different DMs do this differently. You can make a list to give to your players that are playing of what they would have ran into. You can leave it open-ended. There's no right or wrong way. I like the idea of a lot of people that I play with, if you give them too many options, they don't know where to go with it. So the simpler the list, the better it is for the player. And that's just something I've noticed over 20 plus years of playing games is just make it, you want a lot of options because people like options, but you want the options to be based in easy to manage increments. With that wild shape, 
They always maintain their intellect, their wisdom, and their charisma. All the other skills go to the skill of the animal. And there are, you have to read through it uh, in, in there. There's a long thing, but pretty much as a wild shape, you get new AC and HP to the animal that you turned into. That is not the same as yours. However, if any damage that takes that animal to zero changes you out of wild shape and there's extra damage left over, you do take that damage. It is just how it is. There's nothing to that. Your DM might not do that, but that's how the rules are written. You do get a bigger pool of hit points with this, but just remember that it goes over. And one of the other disadvantages is you can't cast spells while B-shaped until further on as a druid. Again, this is something I've, I've, I've mentioned before, I'll mention it again, is you can cast a concentration spell, wild shape, and maintain that concentration. It doesn't go away. So keep that in mind. And the cool part about wild shape, again, is you choose if your equipment falls to the ground and transforms with you. This is a DM prerogative thing. You can choose once, and that's just what happens. You can have it different every time. There is no right or wrong answer to this. Just give it a read through. Just make sure you understand it. And as your wild shape improves at 4th and 8th level, the CR of the animals that you could turn go up and the restrictions go down. Timeless body, uh, if you ever make it to level 18, really cool for RP. Not really combat advantage, but for every year that you age, your body ages, actually 10 years of time will pass. Just imagine doing this with an elf. That's all I'm saying. At 18th level, that's where you get to cast spells while in wild shape. Every druid has this. They can change into a beast. At 18th level, they can cast spells as long as there is no material components or spell focus. It's only somatic and verbal components that the spell can be. Again, different DMs might treat it differently, but that is just how the rules are written. And at 20th level, you just get to wild shape whenever you want to. For fun, all the time. There's no limit. <laughs> and you do it for 10 hours a pop. So let's jump into the circles because the circles dramatically change with the Druidists. So a lot like our clerics who were had a set base. Clerics looked very similar. When you get into their, their subclasses, they look different. So the question, what if you're wearing your focus like a necklace? You can't use your focus. Though it's there... The rules specifically state that you can't use the focus or material components. It, it is material components. A spell focus takes over for material components, but they are the same rule set. And again, it all depends on your DM. Your DM might change that as well, but that's kind of overpowering, that whole thing. But hey, here we go. <laughs> I've seen a lot of stuff lately on social media about making super powerful characters and why DMs should just allow people to do it. I'm telling you, 5e is easy. You don't need more. It, it becomes less strategy. If, if you're really going for just full roleplay, do whatever you want. Games are just that. And especially D&D 5e, I've said this a hundred times, I'll say it again so that it's in podcast form even more. The rules of this are written as a guideline. They're not written like rules of the past where they were just the dead set rules of Dungeons and Dragons. The difference of D&D 5e is that the rules are guidelines. So we're going to get into the circles, and hopefully we can get the, the doggos to be a little quieter. The first one I'm going to do, I tried to do these in, in alphabetical order, and I'll be honest, it was really weird looking through this in alphabetical order. So we're going to start with Circle of the Dreams. Circle of the Dreams is a very unique a druid class. I've played one. So we're going to go through this so that you understand each one of the Circle of Dreams and how they work. 
So at second level, you get something called Balm of the Summer Court. So basically at second level, you get a pool of D6s that are equal to your Druid level. Tapping into the subconscious all the time, your consciousness is linked to this dream world. Dogma, it happens through the Feywild. D&D, however you choose to set that up. I will say it again. It doesn't matter how it happens. As long as it happens, the end result is what the mechanics say. That's what makes things even. So basically what this does is these D6s become a bonus action commodity for us. So using a bonus action, you can choose an ally 120 feet that you can see. You can only spend up to half of whatever those D6 are. So if you have six, you can only spend three at a time or less. You roll the D6, you add them together, and you can heal a target. As well as giving them one temporary hit point per dice spent. You have to pay attention to this mechanic because there's a lot in this mechanic. You get all that back after a long rest. It's not even half like hit dice are when you're doing a short rest. So it goes well. Thank you. Thanks for stopping in. At 6th level, you get something called Hearth of Moonlight and Shadow. So basically, whenever you take a short or long rest, you actually just create a protective dome for you and your party. It gives you full cover. It gives you the ability to have a light inside that is not seen on the outside of the dome. You also get a plus 5 to stealth if you're trying to hide with it and be quiet. You get a plus 5 to perception to see out of it because you're hidden. It's a really cool mechanic in the game to keep you protected. Especially if you need a short rest, you can hide, but you're in an area that you don't want to be in the open. At 10th level, you get hidden paths. You gain access to fey hyperspace lands, right? But they're not that far, so don't get too into that. But basically, using Feywild and its magic and its lanes and its transportation lanes because dogmatically the fey the veil is thin so we go back and forth to the fey wild i can move myself or my character can move itself up to 60 feet into an unoccupied space or i can send a willing creature i wrote up to 20 it might be 30 it doesn't really matter it's shorter i think it's 30 into an unoccupied space as well you can do this, it's wisdom modifier based, so whatever your wisdom modifier is, you can do it that many times per long rest. Jump into the part that makes this cool. If you make it to 14th level, you get an ability called Walker in Dreams. This is a dream magic, but it's Feywild connected. This lets you travel mentally or physically through the dreamland. So the spells Dream, Scrying, and Teleportation Circle become available to you after a short rest. And you can cast it without any material components. There is limitations. Dream and scrying exactly as they are. You get that one shot. Transportation circle is interesting in this though. Because it doesn't take you to a set transportation circle. It doesn't follow those rules. It takes you back to where you had your last long rest. You could do this without any material components. It makes it very interesting, especially if you're trying to be more strategy outside of combat. It helps. And you guys are going to notice something in these if you haven't noticed yet. I'm going to keep saying per long rest instead of once a day. And that's because it's absolutely DM dependent on how many long rests you can have in a day. 
The rules treat it like end of the day you go to sleep, you wake up, that's the beginning of a new day. How we do the Sicodian rhythm here in, in the real world. But it doesn't mean that your DM can't give you more long rests throughout the day. For the most part, it's a daily marked ability. But remember, the day is marked by the time you actually take a long rest. But, again, it's dependent. These are the rules. This druid is a druid that's not tied to nature itself. But the nature of the Feywild, which, if you remember, we've talked about the Feywild on the podcast before, is a multiverse of prime which is in D&D Faerun, but it could be whatever you want it to be. The Feywild is a multiverse, not a different plane. It's still a material plane. At least it used to be. I have to check into that to see if it's still the same, which is really neat because it's the closest multiverse. It's the one adjacent to our own. You may not understand Fey magic, especially wielding it, but it's not, it's, it's nevertheless, it's part of you. You, as this druid, protect the balance of all things by using your ability to overcome, confuse your enemies. My first dream druid was an advisor to a kingdom, more specifically the prince of that kingdom. They were tasked in guiding them through life and making sure that the balance was a thing that was always kept in mind when the king, queen, prince made a decision. That character didn't talk very often only when the prince asked them something or when they were talking to a friend or somebody else but it was a lot of fun to play it along in that where somebody else ran the whole thing i was an advisor was actually a lot of fun i didn't think it was going to be but i was there because they really needed somebody to support in that game some circles have spells attached to them that you get for free. This is not one of those circles. So just a heads up if that if you're looking for more spells, this is not the circle you want. Go into Circle of Spores. This one's a little bit more interesting. And to be honest with you, if it's probably the one I think closely resembles my headspace on what druids are. You do get spells in this one. You're very connected and the fact that your body produces spores. Fungus is very important. They see a beauty in the decay. Out of all the druids, this one's very druidy to me. And more so not because, uh, and I knew somebody's going to say it too, not because shroom druid or anything along the lines of that, but more druids protect the balance. And usually it's the balance of nature, but sometimes it's the balance of nature, civilization, and everything. So druids see the whole cycle of life. Death is different to a druid than it is to most other things. So having a druid circle that is about decay and death and the beauty and the cycle and having that part of the cycle that they protect is amazing. At second level, you get to choose this circle you receive something called Halo of Spores. You gain reactionary necrotic spore damage that levels with you. It gives... So again, it's a reaction you can use where things that you're fighting or that are around you can have a con save and not receive any damage, but it gives you something else within your reactions instead of just attack of opportunities an attack of opportunities in D, D is when the enemy moves out away from your space 
not forcefully, but chooses to move, you get an attack of opportunity. And again, DMs are different, but that's just the rules. Second level, you also gain symbiotic entity. Because why not wizard this? <laughs> so, you have wild shape. It's something you get as a druid. But now you can use your wild shape to awaken the spores that are around you. When you deal hail of spore damage using symbiotic entity, you get to add the damage dice as a second extra damage dice. So if it's 1d8, you get 2d8. Your melee weapons do an extra 1d6 necrotic damage, and you gain four temporary hit points for each level of circle of the spores you are. This lasts for 10 minutes until you lose all the HP or you wild shape again, whether it's using it again in the spores to reset the times or you're using the wild shape to actually change into a beast. At 6th level, you get fungal infestation. I know they sound amazing, so appetizing. I hope I'm not catching anybody at dinner. Basically, smaller, medium beasts or creatures, so it doesn't matter, creature or beast that's smaller, medium, that dies 10 feet from you, your spores go in and turn it into a zombie. It has zombie stop stat blocks, it has 1 HP, and it lasts for an hour. You could do this a number of times, your wisdom modifiers, again, the, the limit, until you finish a long rest, and then you can do it all over again. This whole end of life more life still death is would be interesting to see role played as a druid playing this and druid people are awesome at 10th level we get spreading spores so this is used when you use your symbiotic entity feet you can hurl the spores 30 feet away from you they still take up a 10 foot cube it lasts for a minute there but it also gives one extra effect if a creature starts its turn in the area or moves into the area, it actually takes that halo of spores damage. The downside is, while you're doing this, you cannot use halo of spores around you or separately. It actually followed that spore group that you threw it. At 14th level, you get fungal body. So, unless you're incapacitated, you physically get changed by spores in your body so have fun with the role playing on that you look different but because of those spores you can't be blinded you can't be deafened you can't be frightened and you can't be poisoned and you're immune to crits this is an amazing feature again 14th level one of those a lot of people don't get to when they play a lot of groups don't go that far but if you make it that far it is something cool with that this circle also has spells that come with it so second level of spells, you get chill touch. Third level of spells, you get blindness and deafness and gentle repose. At fifth level, you'll get animate dead and gaseous form. Seventh level, you get blight, confusion. And ninth level, you get cloud kill and contagion. This is a circle that believes life and death are part of the balance and that death needs to be appropriately maintained. It's also usable to maintain the balance of everything. These druids do love nature, but they know that everything can and must end. It is a possibility that needs to happen. Also, make sure that somebody in the party has pressed the digitation, or as we've come to call it, magic shower in the party, because that's a fungal person. Have fun role-playing that. 
the last one we're going to talk about tonight also is one of those that has a lot to it. It's Circle of the Stars. So the power of constellations. So when we think about nature, we don't normally think about constellations and stars, but they definitely are part of it. And these circles have a connection to that in the starlight power. Someone pointed out to me this is something that would be difficult to play in Bengen as a whole if somebody really wanted to roleplay it, the world I'm creating for Bros and Dragons, and a world book that eventually... Because I don't have a constellation or zodiac in place. Somebody started it, but they got wrapped up with something else. Life happened, and that's what it is. I still welcome anybody who actually understands any of those to help me create it. You're more than welcome to join our Discord, or send me an email, or contact me through the websites. I will definitely would love to hear somebody who understands it a little bit more help me create something like circle of stars at second level you gain a star chart this is your spellcasting focus and it is a tiny object there's a specific chart that you roll on or you pick from but don't let that chart stop you from creating something else remember as long as it falls within the parameters there's no reason that your star map cannot be something else that's not in that chart the map allows you to have certain things as long as it's in your in your pro the map allows you to have certain things as long as it's in your possession and i don't know why that word was stopping me first off you gain the guidance cantrip for free you get guiding bolt prepared uh, it doesn't count against the spells that you prepare also on top of it you could use it on your spell slots but it also lets you the star map lets you cast it a number of times equal to your proficiency bonus that resets after each long rest as well. So it actually gives you a couple more for guiding bolts. If you lose the map, you lose these abilities. But if you lose the map, there is a ceremony you have to do to create a new one. It needs to be done during a shirt, a shirt, a short or long rest. And it destroys the previous map. So if it was stolen, you can destroy the other map by creating another one. The map is essential as not the spell focus for this, but more as that balance trinket that you have. So keep that in mind. This is what you go with. At second level, you also gain something called starry form. So as a bonus action, you can become a starry form rather than a beast for your wild shape. You glow the star chart for that constellation and the lines are all connected you, the blackness overcomes it, and you become that constellation. It gives you 20 feet of light. 10 of it's bright, 10 of it's dim. Some of you guys have DMs that, that track vision and stuff like that. The three that are on here are Archer, Chalice, and Dragon. So if you become the Archer, when you make an attack, you can make a spell attack, hurling a luminous arrow... Out of nowhere. It only has 60 feet, so it's not like a regular bow and arrow. It deals 1d8 plus your wisdom modifier and radiant damage. That's pretty nice. It's like a bow and arrow with unlimited arrows. If you have one of those DMs that makes you track arrows, or if you're like me and you track your own arrows, the chalice allows you to use your... So if you use your spell to heal a creature, you can also pick yourself or another creature within 30 feet and they regain 1d8 plus wisdom modifier and healing. The dragon constellation affects skill rolls. 
So intelligence and wisdom checks and con saves to rema- uh, to maintain concentration. If you roll and it's a nine or less, you automatically make it a ten. That's what the dragon form does for you. At sixth level, you get cosmic omen. This one's a little bit more powerful, but I do like it for adding a reaction commodity in. So basically, after a long rest, you look for omens in your star map. And you roll any die, it doesn't matter because it's even odds. As long as there are numbers on it that are even and odds, you can do this. If it's even, it's wheel. Creatures you see within 30 feet that are about to make an attack roll, a saving throw, or ability check, you can use your reaction, roll a d6, and add that to the attack, the saving throw, the ability check. If it's odd, it's woe. The only difference is you'll subtract that number. It specifically says creatures you see because it doesn't matter if it's an ally or enemy. You can change that however you want. And when it comes to balance, who's really the allies and who's really the enemies? At 10th level, you get the Twinkling Constellations. This ups your starry form. So when you do starry form and you become either the Archer or the Chalice, you get 2d8 instead of 1d8. And if you become the dragon you now have a fly speed to 20 feet around or you can hover you can also change the starry form at the beginning of each one of your turns so you don't have to keep it through the whole thing when we get to 14th level again we're talking about that level that a lot of people don't get to while in starry form you are partially incorporeal and now you're resistant to bludgeon piercing and slashing damage whether it's from magical or non-magical sources Whatever it is, you're resistant to it. I've never played a Star Druid. I've heard stories of people playing it. I find it interesting. I would love to hear your stories if you've played it. Because I want to know how you would roleplay that. Because there are things here that I haven't had the opportunity to roleplay. And I haven't really thought about. One of them, wild shaping into a constellation form is interesting. But how would that look? Would it look like you're wearing a bodysuit with a constellation on it that... Wherever somebody looks at you from, that's the constellation they see. Does it form where you become the stars themselves? I have no idea. Are you a material form of that, which is interesting in itself as well? The important thing is when you're playing a druid, druids have a lot to them. So if you're brand new to the game, it's probably not the one you want. You should do like a one-off just to get into the feel of it so rolling understanding the ability scores thank you guys for coming out i love you all i just want you guys to know i want you to keep it nerdy and live your dreams later this has been a nerdworks production